Okay, good afternoon again. I wanted to continue on uh, on the a series of messages on how to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And today, what I'm going to be looking at is understanding God or, under, or following the leadership of the Holy Spirit by looking at the goodness and the severity of God. And I think a lot of times the it's easy to look at the goodness of God. I mean, it's, it comes natural. I mean, it's what we all need. We, we look at that. A lot of people preach about it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if, if I'm going to follow the leadership of the Spirit, we're, I have to know where God stands on a subject. And what he says about that subject if I'm not living accordingly. You know, I need, I need to know what God says about sin, the subject of sin, and, and what's his view of that if I'm really going to follow the leadership of the Spirit. Now, I, I talked last week about the importance of having a foundation. And these things are easy to talk about, the foundation. That is, Jesus understands me and is committed to me and will never give up on me. Uh, I will make mistakes. Here's the foundation. Okay, I don't have to be perfect to get God's help. Uh, my sins are forgiven. God is not mad at me. God loves me. And, you know, those things are easy to talk about. In fact, you can probably build, build a mega church if all you focus on is, is those things. Uh, and I, I mentioned, I just want to say this again, that sometimes we interpret when God does come to us and, and corrects us, a lot of times we interpret that as condemnation. And that's a big mistake there, you know, because the Bible says, God says, you know, that he, he chastens every son that he loves. So correction is something that we have to get used to, but not let it condemn us uh, when we're trying to follow the leadership of the Spirit. Now, if I consider the message that people want to hear, you know, people want to hear, God loves me, I am loved, I am forgiven, I am okay. You know, uh, and that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you can't just stay stuck in there. You have to go a little bit deeper. I mentioned that when I want encouragement, I will listen to, you know, like a man like Joel Olstein that, that often gives me encouragement. The problem is that he has admitted in an interview that he didn't really feel like his ministry was to show people their sins, you know. So, um, but there is a verse in the Bible that talks about cry loud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trump. And show my people their sins, their transgressions. So you can't bypass that. And um, it's a daunting task. I, I hope you don't feel like your ministry is to do that. I mean, I, I've sometimes thought about it myself. I, you know, cry aloud, show people their sins. You can get on an ego trip and do that, but you've got to understand something. The prophets of old who did that, they were all killed. Why, why would you want that? <laughs> you know, John the Baptist, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Cost him his head. And, and why was Christ killed? Well, he pointed out the era of the church movement back then. And um, they didn't like it. So again, if we're going to follow the leadership of the Spirit, you cannot stay stuck in Okay, I am loved, I am forgiven, I am okay. Uh, it's like love versus harshness. 
we, you know, they say that human beings, there's two ways that we are motivated. That we're, it's called towards and away from motivation. Towards motivation is your boss comes to you and says, look, you do what you're supposed to and I'll give you a raise. I'll give you a two weeks paid vacation. I'll give you all these wonderful things and we want to work toward that. Away from motivation is if you don't get your act together, you're fired. And I move away from what I don't want in my life. Well, well God works the same way. There's two ways that we, we view God and, you know, love, but also the severity or harshness and, and what God says about the issue of sin. You know, easy believism is a popular teaching today. It really is. And uh, again, you can probably build a mega church with that and make a lot of money. Easy believism. And I think of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, Christ said, Why do you call me good? That's a fascinating statement, by the way. <laughs> you know, why, why do you call me good? There's, there's, there's one good, that's a father. Okay? But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And so I, I actually did this. I started writing, it's been a while back, but I started writing mega churches a similar question. I said, what do I got to do to be saved? I was sort of asking the same question in a different, you know. I didn't say, what must I do to have eternal life? They might pick up on that. So, what do I got to do to be saved? And I did not get that answer from any of them. If you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Um, I got, um, well, this, if, I, if I mention, I'm not going to mention this mega church, but if I mention it, you would recognize it. But his letter was, your part is real simple. Believe and receive. Now, that's a starting point. Yes, absolutely. It's a starting point. But it does go a little bit deeper than that. And I sort of was frustrated and, and thought, how hard would it have been to say, you know, God probably wants you to obey him. <laughs> most, most fathers want their children to obey him, you know. Yes, Jacob? Well, Satan believes. Oh, yeah, yeah, good, yeah, yeah, good point. But, yeah, the, the demons believe and tremble. <clears throat> but uh, again, if I'm going to follow the leadership of the Spirit of God, we have to know where God stands on a subject. So uh, let me just go through this quickly here about the, f uh, the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, having the fear of God in our life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we're, we're asking, you know, how do I, I get to this point where, you know, I fear God enough, let's say, to obey him. All right. All right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fool despise wisdom and instruction. So we're going to have to know what does the Bible say about a subject? What does the Bible say about a subject that I'm struggling with? Be it anger, be it lust, be it whatever. You know. Um, For they that hateth knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So, you mean I can choose to fear God? Yeah, you can. But there's a way you do it. There's a way you do it, and I, I hopefully I'll go through this. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children shall have a place of refuge. You know, confidence is something that we all want to have in our life. We want to be a confident person, a confident man, a confident woman. Well, how do you get there? Well, by having a fear of God. The fear of the Lord is a foundation of life. To depart from the snare of death. 
Yeah. Powerful stuff there. So, um, I want us to turn to this verse about the fear of God, because it sort of summarizes what I want to go through here. Proverbs 16 and verse 6. <clears throat> Proverbs 16 and verse 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. There's the goodness of God right there. Mercy and truth, the sacrifice, the grace of God. You know, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. There's the severity part of God, the harshness. Okay, by fearing God, men depart from evil. Goodness, severity. So if I look at my life, and there's an area I just have I keep struggling with, and I haven't departed from evil, I'm going to have to evaluate my fear of God. Okay? I mean, that's the bottom line. I'm going to have to evaluate. Now, I know we say, okay, well, Lord, give me your fear. Fear of God. That's good, but you're going to have to know what the Bible says about a subject in order to have the real fear of God if we're going to depart from sin. Now, I mentioned, I just want to go over this one more time. I mentioned last time that the key to overcoming sin is discover your life's purpose. And I mentioned that the sin is secondary caused by a primary problem. The primary problem is you haven't found your life's purpose. So, uh, how many of you have found your life's purpose since last two weeks? <laughs> Greg sent me a personality test. And if you want the link to that, ask, talk to him. But it was really beneficial. It took me about 15 minutes to fill it out, to answer the question. But it revealed some things about myself I did not know. And it's, a, it's you know, very helpful. Um, very helpful. You know, um, well, I think it was last week I was listening to Joel, and he talked about, it was a man, he asked, you know, what has God done? In your relationship with God, what have you figured out? You know, and it was fascinating. He said, the man told him there's three things. That number one, Satan will lie to you. Satan will get you to believe the lie. And then Satan steals your identity. Well, if you don't know your identity, if Satan steals your identity, you're never going to find your life's purpose. So I'm just connecting those two together. Check out that personality test. It may help you. It's helped me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it will go on to tell you your strengths and weaknesses of that type of personality. Very powerful. So, okay. 1 Peter 3 and verse 10. Let's look at that. 1 Peter 3 and verse 10. Because here's something that we all want. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3 and verse 10. For he that wants to love life and to see good days. How many of us fit into that category. <laughs> you know, I want to love life and I want to see good days. It's, it's, it's what I want. Let him restrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn aside from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayers. But the Lord's face is against those who do 
evil. Now, Greg, could, could you bring me a little bit of water? Oh, thank you. Sort of brought that up here. <clears throat> okay. His eyes are open to their prayers, but the Lord's face is against those who do evil. Now, there's a disconnect with Christians here. Because Christians will often say, well, yeah, I understand that the that, that, uh, Lord's, you know, his ears are open to their prayers. But when we think about his face against those who do evil, we sort of look outside the church. And we say, yeah, I understand that outside, you know, all those evil people out there. But, you know, and, and we, there's a disconnect. We're under grace. And I understand I make mistakes. And then it's just, you know, and yeah, I get that. But often there's a life that we can live of sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess. Now, if you sin, you're supposed to confess. But that's not victory, is it? That's not overcoming, is it? It's, it's a basically a life of li being a loser. Sure, you sin, you need to confess. But God wants victory. He wants us to be an overcomer. So, uh, if I'm stuck in a mode of evil, I really need to evaluate my fear of God. Do I have fear of God in, my, in this thing that I'm struggling with? You know, a, friend, a minister friend of mine tells a story about, and I've shared this with some of you, but he told the story about his uh, business, the way he worked at, was, was, uh, took three of them and paid a, a vacation to go golfing at Myrtle Beach. And his other two friends were religious type. You know, one sang gospel music all the time. Another one had a prayer journal that he kept up with. And my friend, when they got to the beach, the other two guys, not my friend, they started talking about going to one of these nasty, you know, um, um, you know, shows at Myrtle Beach. How do I put that eloquently? I mean, I, uh, what? Call them gentlemen's, club. gentlemen's Club. There we go. <laughs> Why do they call them gentlemen? You're not going to find any gentlemen at that club. Uh, and they said, "Do you want to go?" And he said, "No, I'm, I'm a married man." Well, the two other guys were married also. He said, "No, I'm not going." And uh, so they, they went to the, that, that club, and, and uh, it, it bothered me because I thought, okay, they knew it was wrong. Why'd they do it? And, and another person clarified it for me. He said, David, you're overcomplicating things too much. He said, the next Sunday they would go to church and ask for forgiveness. And I thought, yeah, that's probably how it's viewed. You know, it, there again is the mode of sin and confess, sin and confess, but not victory. You know, um, I'm under grace. So uh, what I'm saying is that there are daily decisions we have to make. Daily we are faced with temptation. Daily we have our battles. And how we handle those temptations, battles, decision, will determine if the Lord's face is, is with us or against us. Okay, how we handle that. Now, I think, just want to touch on one of Satan's tactics that I think he is good at. Often a new believer who comes into the faith, baptized, you know, you, you're, I remember when I was first baptized, I thought, I'll never sin again. I had this, I don't know where that confidence came from, but uh, it was destroyed pretty quickly. But, uh, 
But I meant well. I mean, I'm not going to do this again. And one of the things Satan will do is he'll say, you know, if you're struggling in an area of, of lust, anger, whatever it may be, he'll say, you know how hard it is to resist that? You see what a struggle? I mean, it's difficult to resist it. And that battle will always be like that. Every time you, you face it, it will be hard like that. And that's not true. That's a lie. Every time you give in to temptation, it becomes stronger and stronger. But when you resist and win, it becomes weaker, weaker, weaker. But what he does is, he'll tell you, no, it will always be like that. You'll live the rest of your life in this immense struggle against evil. And you'll probably never get the victory out of it. And so we, we yield to a life of sin and confess. And again, you sin, you're supposed to confess. But there's, there's lacking victory. There's lacking overcoming. So, like Jacob said, what God wants us to do is quit it. Okay, quit, quit doing that. Uh, but don't, you know, you're, if you're believing that lie, you'll just throw in the towel. And say, I, I, I give up. Okay, if I'm going to follow the leadership of the Spirit of God, we have to know where God stands on a subject. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The goodness, the severity of God. Now, I'm going to look at particular sin, which I call the hallmark sin of America. It is the breaking of the seventh commandment, adultery. And uh, as I go through this, it's a specific one I'm focusing on, but you can apply it in general to, you know, the severity of any sin, um, you know, whatever it may be. I, I, one time I began to realize, if, if I didn't know God, and I just watched TVs and movies and sitcoms and, God forbid, soap operas, and uh, <laughs> I would, and read magazines that I've, you know, as you're checking out the grocery store, those nasty little magazines, you read them, <laughs> I would assume that what you're supposed to do is cheat on your wife, because that's what they teach. Adultery, hallmark sin of America. And, uh, I once heard a statistic, 50% of Christian men are addicted to some type of pornography. They admit that. 50% of, of Christian men in church are addicted to some type of pornography. So let's look, go with this. In Matthew 5 and verse 27, our Savior said, You have heard it said, uh, said of them by old time, you should not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman and lusts after her commits adultery with her already in his heart. I remember talking to a guy that, that had been unfaithful to his wife. And, and I, said, I said, you know, Jesus said if you look at a woman and dress her in your mind, you're guilty of adultery. And he said, yeah, but what man doesn't do that? And part of it I can understand, but let's take a look at what Jesus said about this issue. Let's take a look at what he said, continuing on. If your right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of your members should perish, and not that your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish, and that not your whole body should be cast into hell. And I can remember reading that and thinking, man, that's severe. That's, that's, that's deep stuff, I mean, maimed or, you know, and, and I, I know Christ is not, you know, literally 
Because if you're a thief and you cut off your hand, that doesn't solve the problem. It's what's going on between the ears. Uh, in order for this to work, you'd have to cut off your head. <laughs> Nobody wants to do But he's saying, well, you've got to control what's going on up here between the ears. You know, and, and it's something... In other words, God may look at us and say, man, you're, you're, you're beautiful. You're whole. But you are ugly. What's going on between your ears? And you're better off to enter into the kingdom missing, you know, maimed, messed up. That's how serious the issue is. <clears throat> Leviticus 20 and verse 10. So we're looking at the severity of a sin. And the man that commits adultery with another man's wife, even he that commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and adulteress shall surely be put to death. Man, that's severe. Put to death. Now, thank goodness we're not living under a theocracy today from the rule of God from the top down. The, that kingdom is coming to this earth, but in God's mercy... Because there is, we're, living, we're not living under a theocracy. We're living under man's government. And uh, because, I mean, if you actually carried this out, how, how many people would you have to put to death? I mean, you, you think about it. And you see, in, in God's mercy, because we live in an ungodly society that promotes adultery, that promotes homosexuality, we're not going to carry this out under a theocracy like the scripture says here. But a theocracy is coming. And now in that kingdom, think about this. There will be nothing that promotes evil. Think about your entertainment. I don't know what part Hollywood's going to have. But, I mean, no, I'm not saying there are not going to be movies, but, but there will be quite God-centered movies. Music, you know, country western. What do you get if you play a country western song backwards? You know, you get your dog, your cat, your house back, you get everything. Yeah. You get everything back. Uh, the one night stands, you know, all the music. I mean, just, you know, I grew up in the 70s. I, I love the 70s music. But I was an older person when I realized what those songs were talking about. I thought, you know, night moves. I thought it was about the weather and the fall season. I didn't know it was about a couple in the backseat of the car I, until I was older. And I loved that song. But, you know. <laughs> It's hard to break away with the music you grew up in. In that time period when you're a teenager, it has such a powerful impact on you. And, uh, but I didn't throw all my CDs away or anything like that. But I, I've learned to discern what they're talking about. And uh, at least the beat's good or something. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Now, we know the story. And when... We're going to turn here in just a little bit. And when the morning was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife. We know the, the story of David and Bathsheba, and bear, bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, that's a classic understatement right there. I mean, you can read that and think, well, it just, yeah, just displeased the Lord. No big deal. Oh, it was a big deal. And here we get into consequences. And Nathan departed into his house, and the Lord struck the child with that Uriah's wife bare unto David. He was very sick. Now let's turn to 2 Samuel 12 and verse 7. 
Now again, I think most of you know this story. David not only took, committed adultery, but he had Bathsheba's wife, uh, husband killed in battle deliberately. Try to cover up his tracks. So this stuff is getting deeper and deeper. You know. And uh, 2 Samuel 12 and verse 7, and, David, and Nathan said to David, you are the man. Man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into your bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have moreover given thee such and such things. You know, if, if you wanted more wives, I'd have given them to you. It wasn't enough. Wherefore? You have despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have slain him with the sword and the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thy house, because you have despised me and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you and your house. And I will take your wives before thee and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with thee, your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did this thing secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Man, you know, what I read in this is sin has consequences. Now I know we say, well, that was the king of Israel. Yeah, I understand that. But don't ever think that no matter how small that sin may be that we're struggling with, that there are not consequences that go along with it. Especially if you're in a leadership position where you represent, you know, God, you know, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. And there's even greater, you know, heaviness placed upon leaders in this area. Proverbs 6 and verse 32. Proverbs 6 and verse 32. We're looking at the severity of a particular sin, the breaking of the seventh commandment, the hallmark sin of America, adultery. But whosoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He that does it destroys his own soul. You know, we could talk about broken families. We could talk about divorce. We could talk about what children suffer. We could talk about no respect. There's a, a young woman that, that she's a, knows a, a man that, that was unfaithful to his wife, and she told me, she said, I will never have respect for him again. And you know, that's one of the things that men need. Respect. And, and here, because we're talking about consequences of a sin, I can't respect the man anymore. That's what she told me. No respect. So when we talk about consequences of sin, and, you know, they, they say that, and I'll try to put this the best I can, that there are uh, bugs that, that in our bodies that can be shared between husband and wife in a marital relationship, and nothing happens. But when you introduce multiple partners, and this person, you're, you're, you know, it's been with 20 different people, and this person's been with 20 other, and, and all of this starts, these bugs start to mutate, divide and conquer. That's one of the ways that STDs come into 
people's lives, you know. All right, that's consequence, consequences of, of breaking God's law. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 13, verse 4, let marriage be had in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled for fornication and adulterers, God will judge. Now, again, the severity of a sin, God will judge this. Okay, God will judge it. I once heard <clears throat> about young men in their 20s. Now, okay, I'm going to try to say this. Um, if my mother was still living, she'd say, David, you don't say that stuff in the pulpit. <laughs> but uh, it was men that uh, in their 20s uh, is, is something that they're struggling with today. This is in today's culture called porn-induced ED. And what it is, the reason I mention it is they say the receptors in the brain get reprogrammed. They can get turned on by watching pornography, but can't, and I get this, but cannot get turned on with a real woman in their 20s. You know, and I, I, I think the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think you, you take something that is beautiful, that God created, and we mess it up. We mess it up. It's, 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 um, and the receptors in the brain get reprogrammed. You know, I think about the enemy. There's three things that he hates. Love, joy, and beauty. You know, if you're experiencing those things, you know, you've got a smile and love, joy, beauty. You have an enemy that hates your guts. He just hates it. Ah, oh, he just hates it. All right, to wrap this up, um, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, a couple more passages of Scripture. First Corinthians 6 and verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Or know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Notice that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God, and you are not your own. For you are brought with a price. Glorify God, therefore, in your bodies. Now, we've made the connection. Your body is the temple of God. It's where the Holy Spirit dwells. Now, let's drop back to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. First Corinthians 3 and verse 16, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now that, that's, that's severe right there. We need to take it seriously. Whatever. When it comes to the subject of sin... If I'm going to follow the leadership of the Spirit of God, we have to know where God stands on a subject. And I hope by going through some of those scriptures, which seem to be harsh, they are harsh, but we understand, okay, this is where God stands on a subject. And this is the society in which we're in. Constant bombardment of temptation in, in that area. Sin has consequences. Don't ever forget that. You know, I once, Tracy got upset one time at me. Well, not just once, but... Uh, <laughs> On my program, I, I mentioned, I said, you know, if you, 
and maybe I shouldn't have flippantly just said that. I said, you know, if you smoke three packs of cigarettes a day for 40 years and you get cancer, I can pray for you, but I'm not going to have a lot of faith. <laughs> and she sort of got upset at that. And I understand that, that God is a merciful God. God could heal that person who has done that. But I'm saying, though, there are con consequences. God forgives, yeah. He forgives us freely. But those consequences, you know, if, you're in a, if you get drunk and you're in an automobile accident and you get your arm amputated, you're going to have to live out the rest of your life with one arm. Again, we could pray that God would restore it, but there are consequences. And while the forgiveness and love is there, often the consequences are not taken away. And that's tough. It's tough to say, yeah, uh, this is where I'm at, and uh, I have to live with the consequences of, of this issue. That, that's tough. You know, one more thing I want to point out. This is a, a little magazine someone sent me trying to sell me something, but I liked it because this is the beta brainwave. Notice how ir irritated that is at the top. This means you're on high alert, you're anxious, you're fearful, you're vulnerable to panic attacks, frustration, and out-of-control emotions. Then below is the alpha brain wave, when you're relaxed, stress-free, happy, you know, and focused, your brain wave would look like this. No, no, notice the difference. Notice the difference. Now, now the question, does sin cause stress? You ever thought about I, I think one day when we meet our Savior, he's going to show us maybe the real consequences of sin. And he's going to say, you know, this went beyond anything you could imagine. We're talking about brain waves. We're talking about receptors of your brain being changed. This, and we're going to look at that and say, oh my Lord, why? Why did I do that? It has more consequences than we realize than even we see on the surface. Yeah, we can go through stuff in the Bible and say, yeah, I understand that. I understand about disease. I understand about whatever, STDs. But it gets, it's more to it than that. So um, um, let's remember this passage to understand the fear of God that we need to have. Whatever you're struggling with, take your Bible and, uh, you know, if it's anger, Look at all the scriptures where, where God talks about anger and what to do. Look at the severity of anger. You know, if you're, um, let's say you're a miser, you can't give up money. The offering plate goes around and you make change. You take put five in, you take out $4.99 out of the offering plate. Uh, look at the scripture about what it says about being a tightwad. And, 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 and look at the, the severity of God. And, and, and put that into your life and realize, no, this is something that God takes seriously. Whatever, so whatever it may be. And, and remember this verse right here. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, the goodness of God. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So, uh, hopefully next time, I'm going to be looking at uh, following the leadership of the Spirit through the process of allowing others to minister to us. Other ministries, other people. How do I, you know, that's a good way to follow the leadership of the Spirit by allowing others to minister to, to us. Because, well, I don't want to give away my first part, but it, it is my first part. 
on the next message, but there's one thing all religious people have in common. They all believe they're right. And therefore, if you can't get outside that box, you cannot grow in the leadership. You'll stay stagnant, immature, and you can't grow outside of your own box that you're thinking of. That's what all religious people have in common, including myself. You know, I know I'm right, whatever. So we have to allow others to minister to us. Even though we might not agree with everything they're saying, they will have some good points. So hopefully that will be the next message. All right.